May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. As you can see in the bulletin, my name is Milton Murray, and the reason I'm here today is that Elizabeth is about to be delivered, and I am being asked to do a few of the things that she does uh, while she is on maternity leave, and it is a great delight and pleasure uh, to have been invited to do that. I still remember so vividly uh, the first day I ever saw All Saints Church. It was almost 60 years ago. I was a young naval officer at the time, and I was home on leave, and I had decided that I would like to seek to be a priest. So my rector... Uh, Hugh Saucy, who had grown up at uh, All Saints, uh, brought me up to Atlanta to meet the bishop and seek his approval. And Hugh said, oh, let's, on the way through town, let's stop and I want to show you All Saints. So we parked out on West Peachtree and came inside and sat down back there in the back. The organist was practicing that morning and we sat there and I listened to the beautiful music and looked around at the gorgeous windows and woodwork and the altar and I thought to myself this is the most beautiful church uh, I believe I have ever seen and I remember thinking at the time it was sort of a prayer that wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord saw fit to someday let me serve here. Well, the Lord took a long time deciding, but here I am. <laughs> I must confess, however, that uh, I feel a bit intimidated by what is expected of me, and perhaps the text for my sermon should have been, and now that I am old and gray-headed, O oh God, do not forsake me. <clears throat> Speaking of old and gray-headed, I, I think I need to remind my fellow clergy, and especially my dear brother Jeffrey, that I am keenly aware of my place in the clergy pecking order, around here, and I fully to fully intend to stay in my place. But I do think it's important to keep all of this in some perspective, and that is, the day I was ordained, Jeffrey was just turning six months old. In the little parable embedded in today's gospel, 
the owner of the unproductive big tree wants to get cut it down and get rid of it. But the gardener objects to having it cut down with these words, and this will be my text. Sir, the gardener said, let the fig tree alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. It's a wonderful parable. It only appears in Luke, in the whole Bible. The the vineyard owner decided he wanted a fig tree in his vineyard, so he had his helpers plant the tree, and he went to gather figs the next year, and there were no figs. Year two, no figs. Year three, still no figs. He was disgusted with his unproductive, broken fig tree, and so he told the gardener, look, it's taking up good space. Let's cut it down. But the gardener said, oh, let's give it another year. Give it another chance. I will tend it and look after it and fertilize it and water it. And if that doesn't work, all right, you can cut it down. The parable is the story of two completely different ways of dealing with a broken fig tree. But more deeply, it is the story of two completely different ways of dealing with the brokenness in my life and in your life. The hurt, the pain, the fear we all often experience, and in the lives and as well as those around us. Now the world, the world's answer to all of this brokenness, this broken fig tree, and to our brokenness, The world says, cut your losses and move on. That's what my world says. Cut your losses and move on. But the call of the gospel invites us to follow a very different path. Tend to the tree. Do what you can. Never give up hope. Leave the outcome to God. Do what you can. Never give up hope. Leave the outcome to God. We all know what it means to have a broken fig tree in our lives. They come in many stripes, personal problems, conflicts, concerned about those we love, 
they're all part of what it means to be human. Many years ago, when I was the rector of St. Bede's Church out in northeast Atlanta, there was a, a man there, a parishioner there, by the name of Jerry Muneer. Jerry was, uh, he was, Jerry was really Mr. St. Bede's. Uh, he had been on every committee. He had done everything you could possibly do. He was a great, great supporter and worker for the parish of St. Bede's. And people loved him and he loved them. But somehow Jerry and I got off to a bad start. We even got off to a bad start before they asked me to be the rector. Jane and I were up there for an interview and uh, just to let the people meet us. And Jerry came over to me during the get-together and he said, uh, if you become our rector, what will you do about our stewardship problem? Well, I don't know what I said. I can't remember, but whatever it was, it was not the answer that Jerry wanted. And after I became rector, uh, things kind of went from bad to worse. What I wanted to do, he didn't want to do, and it was, it was very, very uncomfortable. What troubled me about that was that two things. First of all, as the rector, I was not going to be able to get very much done with, the, with Mr. St. Bede's being one of my adversaries. But on a deeper level than that, I had been called to be the shepherd of the flock. It, and one of the sheep didn't like the shepherd, and I'll have to admit very sorrowfully that the shepherd didn't like the sheep. <laughs> Late one afternoon, <clears throat> I was in my office and I heard Jerry out in the secretary's office talking to the secretary. And I thought, you know, here he is, just right in the next room. What, wouldn't it be wonderful if somehow I could fix this problem that we have? What could I do? Well, about that time, I heard him leaving, and he was walking down the hall. And I know this is when God got into the action, because I bolted out of the office, through the secretary's office, down the hall, and I called out, Jerry, Jerry, wait just a minute. I want to talk to you. So he stopped, and I didn't want to bring him back in the office, because that would put us on sort of uneven turf. Uh, so I said, Jerry, let's go in the library a minute and, and talk. So we went in and sat down, and he had no idea what I was going to say, and frankly, I didn't either. But I looked at him, and I said, Jerry, uh, things are not right between you and me, and I, I'm really very unhappy and troubled about that, and I would like to try to do something about it. 
Well, there seemed like an interminable silence that followed. But Jerry looked at me and said, let's have lunch together next week. And we did. We went to this cafe and he had brought a bottle of wine and a sack. And I'm sure they didn't drink wine in this cafe, but he brought this bottle out and sat it on the table. And we had a glass of wine and a lunch. And we had many more lunches just like that that followed. And Jerry and I became not only good friends, but we came to love one another. And things at St. Bede's got better and better. How thankful I am. How grateful I am that Jerry and I chose to do a little broken fig tree tending. And we chose not to give up hope. And above all, to trust the outcome to God. Now the parable doesn't tell us what happened to the broken fig tree. It may have flourished or they may have had to dig it up and start all over. We just don't know. But the gospel calls us to trust that whatever happened was in the hands of God. So this morning, if there's a broken fig tree in your life, remember the gardener. Remember the call of the gospel. Do what you can. Never give up hope and leave the outcome to God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.